record this because somebody asked me this. Basically, we, um, we're going to transition in the upcoming week or two to a different section of psychology, a different, uh, uh, different topics. We have to discuss uh, cognitive psychology about learning and memory, which will be really interesting. And we're also going to discuss um, some social psychology, which I really love. I think it's amazing. And actually, I taught a course on it in uh, Tel Aviv University last year, and I really, really enjoyed it. And I'm going to bring um, some material that I think you'll really love. But before we do that, as a kind of a closing out of this part, I wanted to do a bit of a review, overview uh, of everything that we did up till now so that we have, that we make sure that we, you know, it sticks in our brains. Because as you know, anything you don't review, and this is true especially in Torah, but in every subject, anything you don't review, huh? What? Yeah, I don't know. Anything, anything in Torah that you that you uh, learn, if you don't uh, if you don't uh, review it, it, it doesn't stick, and uh, that's a known thing. And there's a saying. There's a saying. It says, anyone who who learns and doesn't review, it's like planting and not coming back to harvest what you planted. It's like it's you never really take advantage of it because when you review something, it really sticks in your brain a lot more. And it's it's not just that. What, the reason is not just because you did it twice. It's a different reason. It's because when you put everything together in your mind, the first time you're learning something, everything is kind of new. So you're getting a lot of new information, a lot of new ideas. Once you have all of those ideas, you, you, you know, it's, they, they're all kind of like, even if you remember them, you don't necessarily see how they all fit together. And part of the beauty of reviewing is that you have the opportunity to sort of like tour the entire landscape, so to speak, again, and kind of process everything and see how it all fits together. So when we started this Tawan psychology class way back when, uh, at the beginning of the year, we started with the most basic, basic question in psychology. I'm sure that all of you remember uh, or will remember when I remind you which was nature versus nurture, the question of what really makes you who you are. Is it biology? Is it environment? Is it genetics? Is it upbringing? Is it education? Is it peer group? Is it, is it culture? There are so many different factors. And as with everything in psychology and a lot of social sciences, there were opinions that took one extreme position against the other. Like, oh, we think it's all biologically determined or we think it's all environment and a person is what's called tabula rasa. A person is like a blank slate, right? So that there, there, there were extreme views in that, in that regard. There are views also about that in terms of how do we develop language, which hopefully is something we're going to touch on because it was something that I find really, really interesting. How do we develop language? There are people who say, oh, it's biologically wired in for you to develop language. No, it's environmental. You learn it from your parents. There's all different kinds of theories that take extreme positions. The truth seems to lie in the middle, which is that it's a mix, right? It's a combination of nature and nurture, which means that we are given a certain like hand of cards. If you want to use a card game as a as a metaphor, you're, you're dealt a certain hand, and then the question of what you do with it is really up to you, or not up to you, up to your environment, and up to you, and up to all of the other influences that are going to affect you over the course of your growth. Um, so it's a, what we call, we use the term an interaction, which means that there are certain factors inside of you, there are factors outside of you, there are biological factors, there are factors that have choices that you make, all of these things combine together to shape who you are. So a person, let's say, for instance, who has a certain character uh, that is very, very uh, high temper or something like that, but they're in an environment that's super laid back. They're in an environment that's very flexible. They're, in an, they're, they're raised by parents who are really chill. They're, uh, you know, or whatever. That person might end up learning skills of how to moderate and how to control, how to manage their natural 
uh, inclination to be more angry, let's say. I'm just giving that example. Or the truth is it's, it's true also of talents. Let's say a person has an amazing musical talent, an amazing artistic talent, an amazing talent in writing, an amazing talent in anything. And they're in an environment where that type of a talent isn't recognized or isn't appreciated, right? So that it's not going to be nurtured. It's not going to end up being uh, fulfilled and actualized because they're just not in an environment that supports it. Or they make a choice that it's, I decided I don't want to do that because it's not the best, it's not in my best interest to pursue that. I want to do something else. And then they end up losing out on the chance to really uh, fulfill that uh, potential that they had. So that's nature versus nurture. Um, essentially, we, and we use, my, my favorite example always to use when it comes to nature versus nurture is Esav and Yaakov, where the Chachamim talk about how even in the womb of Rivka, which we're going to talk about in next week's parasha actually already, um, they were already fighting with each other. One wanted so to go for Abu Dhabi. So why if it's like, oh, hi, determined, it's, it's nature. So nature... So it's like you have a starting point, right? right? Like a starting point, and mm-hmm. from there, like you choose. Yeah, so there's certain, I would say there's certain potentials and there's certain maybe limits even, strengths and weaknesses that a person's born with. How that ends up developing into who you are is how those elements interact with so many other factors that affect you. Mm-hmm. What you're exposed to, let's say, God forbid, a person experiences a trauma or uh, some terrible thing happens to them. So even if they had incredible uh, uh, strengths, it might affect whether those strengths end up being you know, actualized or not, mm-hmm. um, how their character responds. Uh, to that, how whatever's built into them is going to respond. So in the case of Yaakov and Esav, the idea is that, yeah, Yaakov was born more spiritually, you know, more, he had more of a leaning toward that. And Esav was born with more of a leaning towards the physical and dominant and all of that and aggressive and all that. Does that mean that he was condemned? No. Does that mean that Yaakov was? No. They both needed really a good environment that would help them learn how to use those strengths to become more balanced, right? And to how to work with those strengths, how to work with what they're given. I remember a teacher that I had in graduate school. She had a daughter. She told us a story about how her daughter like had um, processing problems with, with verbal information. She had a really hard time. She wanted to go to medical school really badly. She wanted to be a doctor, but she had problems with it. She was, she was born with it. It's, it's just a, you know, a person has dyslexia or they have whatever it was that she had you know, has a difficulty reading or difficulty processing written information, it's biological. That's, that's something that's biological. Okay, there's not, you can't just touch, flip a switch and fix it. What did she do? She came up with a way. So in medical school, obviously, there's a huge amount of reading and a huge amount of information. So what do you do? Right? So what she did was she created a way to represent all of the information in different color codes, different drawings, different pictures, different this. She used like all kinds of visual uh, stimuli like uh, to organize the information, like she would make these charts and these things with all kinds of different color-coded things to help her learn. And she was able to get through medical school like that, right? Meaning she was able to master the material. What does that mean? She learned how to overcome or how to work with whatever nature gave her. Nurture stepped in. Now that means that she probably had either a really strong determination herself or a really supportive parents or really supportive school or really supportive whatever. However she got to that point, they know, but some people will just give up and be like, I'm not going to do something that requires me to do a lot of uh, verbal and reading because it's hard for me. You know, so that's an example for how nature and nurture, they can interact in many different ways you can have that. Okay. Um, the Gemara says that uh, a person who is born naturally very beautiful, it's harder for them to learn. 
because they get distracted. They're always looking in the mirror. They're always worrying how they look. They're always looking at this. They invest their time in different things. Not everybody will do that, but it could happen, right? Nature and nurture, they interact. Now, that was the first topic that we talked about. Then we slid into speaking about uh, Freudian psychology, which we spent a bunch of weeks talking about and all the different aspects of that. That is an example, I think, a good example. Now, as we're trying to tie everything together and we're trying to see the overview, okay, in this review, so that ties together a kind of nature and nurture because Freud really himself was a big believer in nature, but he also believed that your experiences, and especially in early life, really shape the kind of person you're going to turn into. Now, he mapped out, and one of his big, his big chidush, one of the big chidushim, the first one we learned about, but they all interconnect, as we're going to see. The first big chidush of Freud was that, does anybody remember? Dreams. No, before that even. Oh. Very good, it is yeah, one of the big ones. Even before that. Oh, oh, oh. Um, even, it's like, even before that. That it's like a way to... I don't know, you have some emotions that you don't express. Very good, exactly, right. That's the unconscious, very good, exactly. The unconscious realm of who you are is much bigger and more powerful than you think. You think that the conscious aspect is the key, but really it's not. So that was his big, his big, big, big contribution. Fundamental of fundamentals was the un, what he called, he didn't like the word subconscious. So when you hear someone say subconscious, you know they're not a psychoanalyst. Okay, he called it the unconscious because he said sub makes it sound like it's less. I don't want to make it sound like it's less. I want to know that unconscious, it just means you're not aware of it. The unconscious realm of your personality is bigger and more powerful. It's like an iceberg. You only see the tip above, this, above the water, right? Most of it is underneath. You know that? So that's... But that's, that was the idea. Now, he split the personality into the, two, the three components, right? And now, each one of these components, some of it is conscious and some of it is unconscious. Conscious and unconscious can apply to all of them. And does anybody remember what they were? What do you mean? We're doing a quick review. Anybody remember what the three parts are? The ego. Very good. Wow. Very nice. Okay, so id, ego, and superego. So just very, very simply... The id is like the instincts and the drives, right? It's your desires. Right, your desires. Your, your ego is what interfaces with reality. But there's also a part of the ego that's not conscious, that's fighting against the desires that are buried inside, right? This is your, the, the sense of self, your, your, you know, your sense of self, planning, reality, etc. Facing reality, you know, practicality and all that. And then you got your super ego, which is? Anybody remember? The morals, I think. Yeah, yeah, your conscience, we would call it, right? Your sense of morals, your conscience. And that's the part of you that basically whatever you're brought up with, and that's really very much nurture, right? Because whatever you're brought up with in terms of values, your feeling of guilt, your feeling of, you know, I have a guilty conscience, whatever, that's coming from the super ego. Now, all of these interact and fight with each other in order to... Uh, in order to uh, make us who we are and it, in order to, that shapes us and that also affects our behavior in a lot of ways. And that was what we talked about in terms of his map of the personality and, um, and how uh, basically this leads into the idea of defense mechanisms, which who mentioned defense mechanisms? Ah, very good. Right, so defense mechanisms feed into this because defense mechanisms have to do with negotiations between these different agencies of the personality, right? So when, when people say that somebody has like um like an overinflated ego, right? Like that's a very big ego, like 
Right. I thought that's just that they think like they're better than everybody else. They do. Yeah. yeah that's so ego means your sense of self. So you think you're very very important. I mean, they're using the term like not exactly precise not way. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Right. So he took these terms to try to capture like the ego itself. It means the ego. So your sense of self. So like. In, when you're looking at, so defense mechanisms, again, you might be, it could be the ego fighting against the id. It could be the superego fighting against the ego. It could be all kinds of different agencies that lead to defense mechanisms. We don't have to go through all of the defense mechanisms that we learned about, but the basic purpose of the defense mechanisms, can anybody tell me what it is? The what? What's the basic purpose of those defense mechanisms? Oh, it's for, know? it's, um, it's to, ah, th- there's like a thing... Um, it's to like calm your mind. Uh, what's happening? You might be on the right track. Fighting with your, your ego. It, your ego's involved in it. It's um. There's a word for it. There's a word, and, and it says it's like um. Conscious dissonance. What's the word? Oh, you're talking about cognitive dissonance. Yeah, cognitive dissonance. Sort of, sort of. Yeah, there, when there's conflict, I mean, you could just use the term conflict. You know, it's simpler. Oh, yeah. Cognitive dissonance is. We're going to talk about cognitive dissonance. It has to do more with with cognition. And how we change our beliefs sometimes and our perception of things in order to accommodate conflict. But you're right. There's this different type of conflict. This type of conflict is like, let's say the thing is like projection, right? Mm-hmm. Like, let's say I hate that like I have brown hair. No, it's like something. If let's you, say like I hate that I have brown hair, and then like I always say like, oh, like, I hate I hate brown hair. Oh, she looks so ugly with brown hair. Well, that's not a projection because you're just saying straight out what you feel, right? Yeah. If you, if if you, the the simplest, the simplest, simplest projection is that you are, you're right, you're so right. You don't like somebody, so be like, they don't like. Yeah. Right. Right. You're projecting it onto them, or you are very jealous all the time, so you're like to the other person, you're so jealous. But really, it's you, right? So that's a projection. But there are a lot of them. There's pure denial, right? There's, there's what we call reaction formation, which is where you, are, you feel and you, you profess exactly the opposite of what you actually feel. There's displacement, where you take things out on something else. So there's a lot of different kinds of, uh, of defense mechanisms. The point of all of them, though, the main point was that all of them are things that we do without realizing it, because if you realize it, it's not a defense mechanism, it's not really defending you, right? Without conscious awareness, you are protecting yourself from certain desires or certain um, certain feelings, desires, emotions, thoughts that you're uncomfortable with, that your superego is unco- uncomfortable with, or that your ego is uncomfortable with, and therefore to protect yourself from those feelings, you end up engaging in a defense mechanism uh, instead. Okay, that's what the defense mechanisms were that we learned about. Does anybody remember any examples of that that we talked about in the class that uh, we talked about some... Uh, examples from Tanakh that, uh, you know, in, and, and stories from Tanakh where we see people engaging in various different defense mechanisms. One example is David Melech ripping the garment of Shaul, and realizing afterwards, feeling bad afterwards because he realized he displaced his anger against Shaul onto the garment. There are many examples of that. Um, there's a, there is... Um, there's there is also projection where the Maraglim thought that they looked like grasshoppers to the to the people of Canaan, when really it was they that felt themselves small, and it wasn't really anything that the uh, people of Canaan were doing. Lots of examples from Tanakh we went through. We're not going to go through all of them. After we talked about defense mechanisms, we came to the next big big chidush of Freud, which was 
We mentioned it before. Dreams. Yeah, dreams. dreams. Now, what what was the psychoanalytic? Huh? Well, right, the okay. psychoanalytic idea of dreams. It's what happens through your day. It's what you Very want, much. and it's and and continuation. It's a it, yeah. And, and what? I didn't hear that. Yeah, so you, you, so first of all, dreams are expressions of wish. That was one of his things, right? So dreams yeah. are an expression of wish. That was one. But it could also be other desires. Let's, let's say other desires to make it more general. Desires or feelings. Um, right? And we said, that's in the manifest content, right? That's the latent content, which is what's underneath. Okay, then you have what's called the manifest content, which is what you actually see and experience. And that includes always, my favorite part of dreams, is day's residue. Oh my god, they were so funny. I know, I like it because it's, the reason why I love the day's residue is because it's so easy to confirm that it's true. You can always find it in the dream. The day's residue means that at, there is an that. element in every dream, uh, at least one element, sometimes more, that is a memory from something that happened that day. Now, what did we see that was really incredible is the Gemara says that. The Gemara says that in Masechet Bachot that a person sees in their dream what they saw during the day or what they were thinking about during the day, and it gives a couple of stories about Chachamim that were asked by non-Jewish nobles or whatever to tell them what they were going to dream that night and each one of the Chachamim made up some crazy story that was really vivid and then they ended up dreaming it that night because they were thinking about it all day. So the idea is, so that's one thing. Another thing we talked about related to Torah was that we have obviously in, uh, in Torah also true dreams. We have Nevuot, we have prophetic dreams and we said that Yosef's brothers, remember? Yosef yeah, and his yeah. brothers, their basic argument with each other was is the dream of Yosef, or the dreams of Yosef, are they wishes and basically psychological dreams? Mm-hmm. Or are they prophetic dreams that are expressing thought, something real from Hashem? They thought what? That he was jealous. Good. And also that, they, that he wanted to be in charge. Yeah. He wanted everyone to bow to him. He wanted, You're just fantasizing what you want. That's not a, right? On the other hand. But they were projecting. Right, or maybe. Ooh, nice, nice, nice connection, I like it. Could be. You're jealous of him. You're the one who wants the power. Oh, nice. Nice, that was a good one. That was a good one. I never thought of that. That's very good. Now, on the other hand, on the other hand, he was saying, no, it's a true dream. Now, remember, when we're, what, 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 what the prophecy and the emotional dream or psychological dream have in common is that both the emotional dream and the, and, the, and, the, and the true dream, or the dream of Nivu'ah, both of them use the imagination. Because when the senses are turned off, the imagination is free. The, the, the psyche of the person is not afraid of, meaning you don't have to repress things as much when you're sleeping, because you don't have to be afraid that some bad desire is going to come out that you're normally pushing down. So in a dream, that will come out. But for a person who's highly spiritual, or even highly talented or highly creative, the dream process can, can bring out amazing things. Like I mentioned that even musicians, they dream yeah, things, artists, yeah, artists, musicians, and, and inventors and all that, if their mind is in a certain area, then when their imagination is free, it can, it can go in that area and be really creative. That's something that we, 
that prophecy and psychological dreams have in common. They both utilize the imagination. And what did we learn also that I thought, I, I remember mentioning, I thought was really, really amazing that the Chachamim said about dreams. They said about Yosef's dream, there is something in Yosef's dream that is not true. Right? Which is that his mother isn't going to come bow down to him. She's dead. Right? She's already gone. So what does that show you? It sh- why did he dream about his mom? Probably because he missed her. Probably because he wished she was still alive. So the, the point was that Rabbi Yochanan in the Gemara said, and Rabbi Yochanan was one of the biggest of the rabbis, he was like one of the first generation uh, after the Mishnah in the Gemara, he was one of, and he was the editor of, uh, uh, of Talmud Yerushalmi, or one of the main contributors to it. So he was like one of the earliest uh, big, big rabbis after the times of the Mishnah. He said that every dream has at least a little bit of nonsense in it, even a prophetic dream. So it's not, a, it's not a surprise that Yosef's dream also had in it elements that were false. Uh, false because that's normal, because that's expressing the psychological nature of the Navi. The Navi is also a human being that has uh, psychological desires and things like that. And it's not a surprise that Yosef would dream about that. But even his own father said, what, you think your mother is going to come bow to you? Meaning, how's that even possible, right? This whole thing is just a, sounds like a wish. So um, that's the idea of dreams and how the dreams uh, fit in. Yes? Do you think that like, manifesting is a real thing? Because like no. you said, manifest content? I think it's like a pop psychology thing. I think that, Come look, on, this is what I think. I'll tell you what I think. I think if a person believes that something can happen right. very strongly, and they're optimistic about it, and they, they have emuna, they make it happen because that's our nature to do that. And many people don't achieve their dreams because they give up. Right. <clears throat> self-actualization. Yeah, that, like no. self-actualization, yeah. But like people don't do that a lot of times because they give up or they think it's impossible. And the whole manifesting thing is like, it's like trying to fight against that, but it became like a magical thing. Like you're right. just going to happen. I don't think that's true. Self-fulfilling It's like I made a joke and don't, don't be, don't be, yeah, but usually self-fulfilling prophecy is negative in psychology. They usually mean a negative. It's like if let's say they right. think they're not good at sports. That you're not going to do well. There's a good saying. Oh. They say whether you believe you can or believe you can't, you're right. Yeah, but you know? like, yeah. something that you say you're 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 manifesting. So I, I, I made a joke, don't take this the wrong way, but I made a joke about the uh, Nishmat Kolchai, you know, they say how if you go to the Kotel forty days yeah, you're gonna yeah. Right? So I said I said, Of course it works and then you're gonna meet somebody. I said, Of course, because otherwise the Sem girl sits in the seminary all day and never leaves. This way she actually gets out between walking from the seminary down to the Gota to meet the guy after forty days, you know? It's it's a practic it's very practical. Anyway. It's beautiful. I love Nishman Kochai. I don't know what... Well, let me tell you what works. Can I tell you what works? What works is your connection to Hashem. If you have Kavana and it connects you to Hashem, it can work. If it's magic, God doesn't respond to magic. It's, if, it's, if it is... If it connects you to Hashem and it helps you increase your awareness of Hashem, what is Nishman Kochai? It's about being grateful for the millions and millions of... Uh, millions and millions of chesed of acts of chesed Hashem does for you in every moment right. like if a person really has it and connects to Hashem through that so then yeah there, the, the power of tefillah is not that you convinced Hashem to do something for you it's that you elevated yourself to be worthy of Hashem's baracha that's how it works right. so if it helps you with that then it works 
That's what I say. Now, in terms of the last topic that we touched on, which I don't think you guys, I don't know if you were in for it or not, because it was like the very, very last topic and things were out of order. Last concept in Freud that we talked about, even though we may come revisit him at the end end, was the idea of what? The right, the parapraxies, right? So, so this is, this is like, you know, slip of the tongue, slip of the Freudian slips. We call them Freudian slips. Okay. Now, again, that ties in just like dreams tie in and just like, uh, just like uh, defense mechanisms tie in because they're both, um, they're both examples of ways that the unconscious and the conscious are interacting to create, you know, to express each other. And they sort of come to a negotiation with each other and the unconscious express itself. Freudian slip is the same thing. We say, um, uh, in, you know, we express our desire, it slips out, or we express what we really feel. And we say like, I'm sorry to see you instead of happy to see you to someone or uh, whatever. Oh, or, what we, today? or we give somebody the wrong name because they associate in some way. Or, like when I said, I accidentally said, oh, I'm, I'm at Eshel every day instead of every week because I, I would love to be here every day, whatever. Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter. Any kind, of a, uh, any kind of a slip that shows what we really feel in some way, it's not always on the surface. Sometimes what we really meant by the Freudian slip is hidden and it's not as obvious. But a lot of times, or we'll misread that something. Like we really want pizza and we look up and we think that the sign says pizza and really it says some other uh, word that starts with a P that is some other store, but it's not pizza, Your right? Your mind is on it. Or sometimes a person needs the bathroom and they look up and they think it says, uh, it says restroom and it says restaurant or whatever. Like, the it point is like, today. it happens. Yeah, yeah, sure. I was, I was leaving the restaurant and, I, and the guy's like, thank you so much and I said you too. Uh, well, yeah. Well, you know, that's, we, we tend to do that all the time just because we don't know what to say. Like, yeah. you know, yeah. like when, when you're leaving the airport no, and the guy's like, have a nice trip. And you're like, you, you too. It's like, he's not going anywhere. Yeah. Um, but everyone does that. Now, but parapraxies are more when it's, it, it's unintentional and you slip, you read something wrong, you see something wrong, you say the opposite of what you mean or different than you mean or the wrong person or whatever it is. All of these things, when they occur, are you misplace something, you... Uh, there's a, you forget something important, you forget to, that's, and, and as I had mentioned, one of the ways that we know that a Freudian slip is really an expression of our lack of attention to something, you know, that we, is like, you'll, you, if you forgot to go to somebody's party, you wouldn't tell them, why oh, I forgot to come. Right. You'd be like, oh my God, you forgot to come, what the heck, you didn't want to come, you didn't obviously want to come a lot, because you, you, if you had really wanted to come to my party, you wouldn't have forgotten about it. Right? So that's one of the aspects of uh, Freudian slip. Where again, just like we have an intuitive sense that dreams are coming from a deeper uh, a part of ourselves and expressing wishes and desires and real feelings, we also have a sense when it comes to uh, parapraxies that they express something about the other person, where the other person's mind is, what they think, what they really think. And people will, will joke about it sometimes even when people will come out with a Freudian slip that, oh, that was obvious what that meant, you know, even though, even though on the other hand, when they do it, they want to pretend that it's not obvious what they meant. Um, and we talked about, like, through the course of the last uh, month or so, a lot of examples, number one, of dream, content about dreams from the uh, Gemara, stories about dreams. We talked about Examples of parapraxies of, for example, I gave the simple example of the the story of of uh, uh, you know from of Tisha B'Av, where uh, where we we know the story of the uh, uh, inviting the wrong person to the banquet, right? <laughs> where you have a kamtsa and bar kamtsa, 
where he accidentally invited the wrong person. Now, maybe he accidentally invited the wrong person because really he wanted to make peace between those, uh, between those two people. He didn't like that they were in a fight, you know, and, and all that. And, but that's an example of an, of an error that could have happened out of some desire. Of course, it ended up, the story ended up really bad in the case of Kamta Bar Kamta, but the idea was that um, the slip might have been intended in a positive way. It might have been intended in a way to, to want to make peace. Um, and we see that in halakha also, forgetting things and making mistakes, we're considered responsible for it because it does show something about what we're attending to, what we're aware of, and so on. And last but not least, the main point I think that you can learn from Freudian, the Freudian approach is not to try to not allow your unconscious to rule um, as much of your life as it currently does. And that was what we said about sublimation is the best example of that. Even though it's a defense mechanism, some people are like, oh, if you sublimate, let's say, your desire for fame, so you become a singer. You have a desire for fame, you become an actor. You become somebody important, so you have to make people listen to you all the time, right? Or whatever. So, you, you know, so if you understand what you, deep, what you want deep down and you choose a profession that satisfies it, that's not a defense mechanism. That's being smart. But if you, uh, if you do it unconsciously, so that means that that desire, you haven't reckoned with it yet. You haven't really acknowledged it yet and you're not in control of it yet. And so even though it might lead you to some decisions that are okay, like you might choose a profession that's okay, it might also make you make bad decisions because you're not fully aware of it and fully in control of that aspect of your life. So a lot of times you can learn stuff about yourself from your mis, you know your uh, your parapraxies, meaning from the things that you did by accident, you say, "Oh, wait a second, that shows how I really feel about this, or that shows what I really think, or why did I make that mistake? What does it show about me?" Just like we can do that sometimes with our dreams, we can do that sometimes with our um, defense mechanisms. Why did I get so upset about that? What was I displacing there? What was I projecting there? What was I sublimating there? Um, that maybe I'd rather be conscious of it and be able to work with it in a constructive way. So that's essentially a summary of everything that we did in the Freudian psychology section of the discussion of psychology, on psychology. We're going to be moving into some cognitive psychology stuff, which I think is really, really interesting too, and also some social psychology stuff in the weeks ahead. But I wanted not to just move on and like forget what we learned. I wanted to kind of bring everything together into one uh, picture. So you understand that everything really comes from this idea of the, con- the unconscious and conscious mind, the different... Uh, components of the personality interacting with each other and how they affect us in ways. Freud's big point was that everything that people normally just dismissed as a random event, like a dream, uh, a a misstatement, uh, I don't know, a a reaction that was inexplicable, why the person react like that, all these things really are boiling down to what's going on beneath the surface and can give us sometimes an insight into what is happening, you know, in our minds that can help us grow. Because when we acknowledge, oh my God, I was projecting. Oh my God, I was displacing. I was, uh, I was, I was actually sublimating a desire that I have uh, instead of acknowledging really what it is and making it conscious and working with it more constructively. All of these things can help us to grow as people. And, and, and that, in that way, it's very, very useful for our development of our midot also. Right. All right, so Bezwar Hashem, we'll continue. Thank you, Rabbi.